Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team, and uh, just so grateful that you're here uh, today with us. And I know uh, it's a holiday weekend, and just thankful that you're here as well. It's a long holiday weekend, actually, because the kids had school off on Friday and all of that. And so I um, hope you're enjoying this, this run. And then 95-degree weather again in September, which is awesome, right? Like so, um, But just happy that you're here. I'm even singing those songs. I was thinking about our uh, this past few weeks as a church has been like fascinating and sometimes and I want you guys to feel this and and, and know this and um, understand like it, what happens here in our community is not just about today you know it's not just about a Sunday it's not just about uh, coming to church but the full scope of things that happen within a community of people from uh, you know, celebrations of marriages to funerals to, uh, uh, you know, big things happening within community partnerships to discipleship starting to, um, you know, uh, the birth of, of things. And it's like, man, the, the massive spectrum of people's lives and what goes on within a church community is such a big deal. And thinking about when we sing songs like gratitude and everything, that God's worthy of it all in the midst of it. Uh, those words take on so much more weight like when you become connected to a community and you begin to see uh, like the the deeper purpose of all of this that it isn't um, just to be and we'll talk about this today just not to be taken casually or anything but to be involved to be involved in one another's lives to feel the weight of people's lives that that you you mourn with those who mourn and you celebrate with those who celebrate and and uh, and you get to experience all this like within community like you you don't get to do that at work right you don't necessarily get to do that at school to this level but there's a, a level of depth that gets added within a church community that um, you can experience if we choose to engage it in uh, the right way and and so um, some of these songs will sing almost sing gyra at the end of this too that you know they they just when you when you get involved in a community and you understand like what it's actually supposed to be about it's like oh like some of the songs we sing it, it, they start to just mean more and they have just a level of depth to them once you, you know, you cry with someone or you laugh with someone or you hold their newborn child or, you know, you celebrate this thing of life and, and everything. And so, um, so I encourage you guys right off the top. Um, I wasn't even planning to say all this, but uh, I, just to, like, be involved. Like, uh, commit to community and uh, whether it's in discipleship or serving here in this community and uh, just be committed to it and you'll start seeing the depth of what these things mean even what I'm going to preach on this morning like it, it it takes on deeper depth when you understand like what we're doing here and what all this uh, means and so I'm just say that as an encouragement. Um, but we've been in this book of Revelation. We're in the third week uh, of this. In the first week, we took like kind of like a high view of Revelation. Uh, last week, we went to the end of the book and talked about that Jesus wins. And that's uh, a spoiler if you haven't read it. But uh, it's uh, that Jesus uh, wins in the end and uh, what that means for our lives and how we begin to experience that in the here and now. It's not just about the future. Like the book of Revelation is not just about the future. I'm going to say this every week. It's not just about the future. It's not about predicting things, right? Let's just said, don't buy the books. Don't watch the videos. Don't send them to your brothers and sisters and moms and dads and friends. Like, like it's not about any of that stuff. Um, it's about seeing like, yeah, we understand the future that God wins and he's going to take care of all of this stuff and wipe every tear from our eyes and, 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 and handle things the way they're supposed to be. But it's also about the present 
And it's also about the past. Like, it's, it's all in there. And it's really about how we're supposed to be um, seeing our lives now, what it means to live this life out, to follow uh, Jesus. As we've said each and every word, uh, each and every week so far, and we'll say this probably every week, that the main thought I want you to have around this, this book of Revelation is to stay grounded, the gospel works. Right? To stay grounded, the gospel works. Um, there's going to be a flurry of things that are coming our way uh, with all the political debates and all the things going on, but it's like stay grounded, the gospel works. Every time you open uh, uh, your, your browser or every time you like, go on social media, everything, they're flooded with images. I think it's like, no, stay grounded, the gospel works. And so we want to concentrate on that uh, every week. And then we want to essentially through this series have less fear and conspiracy, more wonder and awe and hope. All right. So that's the point uh, of all of this as we begin to, to work through it. So um, how many of you guys believe um, that your ancestors and what they did play a role in like your life now? Right? Yeah, like your family of origin deeply matters and everything. I heard uh, this one guy sharing recently. He's like, yeah, I was at a dinner party. This is an interview I heard this guy talking. He's like, I was at a dinner party, and he's like, and the conversation was a little dull. And so I just said, hey, how do you guys think your ancestors inform your lives right now? That's like a funny, like, dinner party question, I guess. And uh, he goes, everyone paused for a second. And then we had this, like, deep conversation about our ancestors, right? And how it gets woven in and the stories we tell and everything else. And so um, the ancestry, like, deeply matters in terms of how we engage life around us. And so we're deeply impacted by all those that came before us and, like, how we see life and everything. And there are these stories that end up coming up. And so... Um, let me, let me indicate it to you this way. So how many quiz, I know normally we'll do this like on the screen and kind of see it pops up so you can be anonymous. We can't be anonymous today. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hands uh, to this one. It's a simple quiz. Um, how many guys uh, in the late 1700s, all right, what percentage of people do you think um, were actively engaged in church on a regular basis, like attending church roughly weekly, and uh, had like a deeper faith, and like faith was like the centering of their lives. So late 1700s, all right? Um, how many think 15 to 20% of people? Okay, we've got a few hands. Great. Um, how many think 40 to 55%? All right. How many think 75 or above percent? Okay. Um, well, scholars will tell you it was about 15 to 20%. Okay, think about that. So you guys raised your hand over here. You're wicked smart, right? And so I think there's someone in the back, right? So about 15 to 20%. Isn't that interesting? There's a story that we believe about even our own country that isn't true. Now, why is that? And why does that happen, right? The Great Awakening that ended up happening, um, you know, which is big spiritual revival in this movement said the numbers got up to about 34%. Just after the, the Civil War uh, um, was actually the, the height of it, um, where it looked like it was, it was getting close to about 50%. Um, and then, you know, it kind of like has dissipated since then. But um, you begin to see uh, how easily um, a story is being told in a certain way, and we believe it, but it isn't the real story. And the same thing happens all the time. Like, like listen, and everyone does this, like, progressives say it one way, conservatives say it another way, like, kind of build stories, right? And it's like, but it's actually not the full story of how it's, like, true. 
Like even when uh, we were in history classes, did, did most of us in this room, some of us like history buffs probably know a lot about this stuff, but like uh, how many guys have ever heard about like the doctrine of discovery? Okay, so very few people, right? Um, actually, that kind of shocked me. Um, when I, that just happened. But the doctrine of discovery like, was actually, an, it was um, pivotal in the shaping of the U.S. Constitution. Now, we don't talk about that uh, a lot, but the doctrine of discovery in the, in the 1400s like, shaped a lot of thought that came on uh, a little bit later. And so part of like, understanding some of these things shaped the stories that we get involved in. And so uh, what I want to do today is also keep this in front of us. So as we engage in particular uh, the rest of this series, uh, what I want to keep putting in front of us is like, hey, there's a story that's being told to us that isn't actually the real story. And we're going to see this today in Revelation to the first century readers. There, there is a story that was being put in front of them that's not the real story. It's not actually what's going on. It's not what should be shaping our thought processes or how we're supposed to live. And so um, it becomes pivotal for us to begin to understand that. And so um, today when we're, we're engaged, we're going to start talking about the first few letters. I'm going to go back to the beginning of Revelation. And in the first couple of chapters, they have these seven letters. And we're going to look at each week, we're going to look at each letter uh, to the church. And then we'll kind of move through the rest of the book uh, after that. But there are these letters that um, become important. And you start seeing this phrase of Babylon here and there and everything. And uh, what, what, you know, and as you said in the beginning, Babylon can be anything. Like Babylon can be America. Like America is Babylon in the Bible. Okay, so you can't like, you can't like really argue that. It's like the way the Bible works, like America is Babylon. But listen, it's not about America being good or bad or anything like that. Anything can be Babylon. Like Richmond can be Babylon. Okay. It's anything that's shaping thought, it's shaping culture, it's, it's outside. Babylon represents something that's outside of the kingdom of God. It's, it's outside of the story. It's outside of the story. Uh, and so we want to like, be very aware of that as we begin to engage not only scripture, but uh, the world around us and how we start to see it. So in uh, Revelation 2, as we'll read here in just a second, this letter is written to the church at uh, Ephesus. And so if you're not familiar where Ephesus was, um, it's modern day Turkey uh, right now. And so you can see up there where Greece is. Everyone knows where that is. Um, and you see where Sicily is and Italy over there, Israel down to your bottom right. But Ephesus is, is where modern uh, Turkey uh, now is. And in Ephesus was, think of like New York City, all right? Ephesus was this booming, booming metropolis and uh, was actually the hub of Christianity. Antioch was the first hub. Uh, Ephesus became the second hub of Christianity uh, because of just everything that was happening there. And you can imagine, can you imagine like within our own country, if New York City all of a sudden had this massive revival, actually this did happen a long time ago, but had this massive revival in it right now where the gospel was like took hold of the city. You can imagine what would come out of that for our country, right? Because of the influence that a place like New York can have. And so um, we begin to see, all right, Ephesus becomes this pivotal point in Christianity. And uh, it was an interesting city. It was a super interesting city. It was actually known uh, for this, which is the Temple of Artemis. And Artemis was uh, this, um, the goddess of fertility. 
goddess of fertility, and, and they would have, a lot would happen in this space. Um, this is obviously a rendering, not a real picture. Uh, but it would, they would have, a lot would happen in this space. They have a bunch of, they had thousands of priests and priestesses who uh, actually were really concentrated on prostitution. So there was a ton of prostitution that came out of this. Um, there was also, this was like the bank for the city. Uh, uh, they have this place where criminals, if they could get to, this is a deeper part of this, but they had this garden around uh, the uh, temple and they had a tree in the middle of it and the, and the criminals would try to get close to the garden or the tree um, for asylum. Um, and so it was an interesting place of like kind of what they like focused on and, and what they concentrated on. And uh, they had a lot of idol, uh, idol worship. So every May 25th, anyone's birthday on May 25th? Anybody? There we go. Um, well, at your next birthday, you can don't actually celebrate this, but uh, <laughs> in May 25th, every May 25th, they would have this celebration uh, in honor to Artemis where they would take all the idols out of the, the, the temple. They would, they would cleanse them as like a fertility ritual, and they would have these blessings, and uh, they were expecting these blessings from the gods, and they would uh, walk them all around the city, and then they had this like debaucherous festivals and some other things too. But that was like what Ephesus was. And in the midst of all of this, was a second, there was a second temple that was built that was uh, supposed to be to worship uh, Caesar, all right? And so the governor at this time was this guy named Domitian. He was a monster. We'll talk about him in, in a few weeks. Uh, he was an absolute, absolute monster. And, uh, but he was the governor at the time, but he was also like really good with propaganda and convincing people of things. And so uh, his son was actually killed, or not killed, he died uh, really young. And typically when that would happen in Roman culture, uh, th they would determine, oh, you were not blessed by the gods. Like if a child, if a child died early, they'd be like, oh, the gods must have something against you. And so, but Domitian was like really smart and manipulative, and he was able to figure out a way that, no, 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 this was actually a beautiful thing because my son is actually one of the sons of gods, okay? And so the term son of God became uh, prevalent with Domitian, and he had these coins uh, printed. And uh, so they would use these coins, and, and, that, and then what's supposed to represent is that's his son, all right, standing on, on top of Jupiter, which is this idea of uh, divinity and control of uh, celestial things. And then you see the stars that are around that. They're these seven stars, okay, these seven stars. And you might be thinking, why does this matter at all, right? And part of it is because I just think it's cool and I'm just telling you guys that. But, but the other thing is you're going to see here in just a second that this revelation, when John writes in Revelation, he starts taking some little shots at Rome constantly, the language that is going to be used. You're going to see this even with the seven stars. All right, you're going to see the seven stars thing. It's like what John's doing is he's, he's uh, not so subtly taking a shot at Babylon and the Roman Empire. And he's trying to get, you got, you got to picture this. The people that would hear this, again, it would have been performed dramatically most of the time. But the people that would hear this letter were probably like small little house churches and uh, who had gone through great persecution uh, years and years and years ago. Now at this point when this letter is written, it's more than in the comfort stage. It's not so much like extreme persecution, uh, but they're in more of a little bit of a comfort stage. Uh, but they're hearing all these stories. They're hearing all these stories that are being uh, presented to them. Um, but here's what's interesting. At one point in time, this church in Ephesus was, uh, again, a bustling Christian community. 
And they, at one point when uh, about 25 years, 30 years before John wrote this, Ephesus had essentially flipped over the entire economic system because of how much they loved Jesus. Like how much they were passionate about Jesus. And it, it changed everything. It changed everything. That the entire economy changed. The city changed everything. But, but when John writes this, he's actually writing it to the next generation. The next generation of people. And the reason why we got to like remember that is because, um, guess what? Quite often, quite often, if you kind of go back in your history of faith, a lot of us in this room probably had someone back in our family of origin that was really passionate about their faith. And that gets passed down. There's like a part that gets like kind of centered in that. And sometimes it, it extends generations where the passion stays. Sometimes some of the story is, oh, someone was passionate, the next generation came around and like they forgot the passion. You know, so, so for instance, you might see it this way, like a, a grouping of people went through great persecution to like figure out their faith in Jesus and they had to suffer and they had to go through so much and then the passion was so great and the next generation came and guess what, they didn't have to go through the persecution like the other group did. And so they were kind of a little more casual about their faith. And then the next group that came after that was a little more comfortable than the last group. And like, and even there, it's like, oh, it's like, man, you kind of just, you barely have any faith. And then all of a sudden it kind of like keeps going till then it kind of runs its course again. It kind of comes back up. And so we see this so often in history. So when John writes this, he's writing to this second generation of people who got a little comfortable uh, in their faith. And so um, here's what John states in Revelation 2 as he begins to write. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, these are the words from him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. So when you first read that, this whole seven stars might, you know, it sounds like on the front end, oh, this is just about like God's sovereignty. And it is. And he's talking about Jesus. But he's also saying, hey, guess what, Domitian? What you say about your son isn't true. It's not right. And so to the, even the first century listener, they're like, oh, there's a different story going on here. Like John's like really serious about how he's engaging the world around. So there's an intensity to what he's writing. He says, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands, which just represent the churches. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. This all sounds really good. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Does this seem positive or negative about Ephesus? Positive, right? We would all want to hear this. He continues on. He says this. Yet, I hold this against you. So Jesus is talking here, and, and I want to just pause here for a second. How does that make you feel when you hear that? Like, Jesus is like, I see all the good things. We'll talk about that in a second, but I see the good things. But I hold something against you. And we start seeing right off the top here is like, oh, Jesus is paying attention. Like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. We love the grace part, and we should. Like, grace is a huge part of this, right? And, and God's love and, and everything. And God's with us in the journey. And, all that. and yes, 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 yes to all those things. However, he's paying attention. And what John's doing in this moment, and he's writing to these people, he's like, hey, uh, he's looking. 
He's watching. He sees what's going on. He's not absent from all of this. And, and he's like, and he actually wants to bring something to our attention. And so he says, you have forsaken, and I'm going to come back to that word here in a minute. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, meaning the church will have no influence anymore. He says, but you have this in your favor. So he comes back around. He's like, you hate the pra practices of the Nicolaitans, and, which I also hate. Now, we don't, these folks right here, we don't know a ton about them. We just know that they were apparently false teachers, okay? He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from what? Hopefully, if you were here last week, that all of a sudden means something different. Instead of just casually reading over it, that's why we went through all the tree stuff last week. And it's like, oh, hold on a second. I, this, this, this means more. This means more. Oh, this, this victory, it's like, I get to partake of the presence of God, this tree of life, which is in the what? Paradise of God. What, you guys remember what the paradise is? The garden. So he's taking us back to the way things should be. And so uh, here's what I want us to see right here on the, right off the top. Jesus confronts so we can conquer. Jesus confronts so we can conquer. Now what he's doing here in this section, he's like, he's writing this letter to them and uh, he's, he's calling the church out for not being like the church is supposed to be. He's calling the church out for going against what Jesus taught. He is, he's calling the church out for acting like Babylon, acting like the Roman Empire, acting like the culture around them, acting like Ephesus, okay? And so he's like, he's calling them out. And it's fascinating, it's fascinating because so often when you look around right now, uh, Christians are really good at calling out non-Christians for acting like non-Christians, but man, we're really bad about calling out each other, how we're not acting like Christ. And it's funny because it's like, why would we care if a non-Christian is acting like a non-Christian? They're doing the very thing that they say that they are. We should be very concerned about those who say that they are Christians that don't act like Christ. Who bring in the name of Jesus into something that's like, that is not like Jesus. Like that, that should be our greater concern, right? And that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here. He's like, he's pushing this in. He's like, let me tell you something. As John's writing this and... and it's like, let me tell you, like, I'm going to call you guys out. I'm going to confront you on the things that are taking you away from me. And it's a really big deal. And it's interesting when we think about this idea of conquering, uh, again, the story that we have been kind of crafted in of what it means to conquer is this idea of like dominate, right? To win, to uh, uh, to overcome, like, something, something or someone, to take someone's land. Like, that's what we think about, like, conquering, conquering a group of people. But, but in the Bible, you know what conquering is? Love. But that's not the story we're told. And that's not what's nurtured inside of us. But what the Bible says is, like, oh, well, what's conquering? What does that look like? It's actually love. It's a passionate love and the love that Jesus taught. It's, 
it's love, and it's, it's centered on love. And so we start seeing this, and you might start saying, like, man, but Ephesus looks good, right? Like they're, man, they have doctrine, the doctrinal purity. They're, like they're trying to make sure there's no false teachers. They're, they haven't, they've persevered. They haven't uh, grown like tired of, of, of anything. They, they've kept up this, this fight and they've, they've kept up doing like these really good things. And, and it, man, from the outside, it looks really good and we should celebrate those things. There's even the one part where it says you don't tolerate wicked things or, or false teaching. Isn't it like interesting? Even that moment, I'm like, whoa, that's so cool that in the Bible, what actually it's talking about is intolerance. Like we live in a culture where you t- we're supposed to tolerate everything. Yet what they're praised for is actually to not do that. To not tolerate anything that pushes you against the teachings of Jesus. Like we shouldn't tolerate it. We shouldn't be okay with it. And so uh, he's pushing it. So, and he even like celebrates that. He's like, man, there's so much good here. But something is actually missing. He's like, but they've done good things and, and all stuff. But, but here's what I want to say around the good part. Just because you did something positive doesn't inherently mean love is at the center of your intentions. We can get this twisted really easily. And I'm going to tell you why this happens in a minute, but um, just because you did something good doesn't mean love is at the center of what you're doing. Uh, sometimes when we talk about what does it mean to be a better person, I've often joked, and you've heard me do this before, where if you want to have like a nice impact on society, there are simple ways you can do this. You can put your grocery cart back where it belongs, okay? Um, like, like you can, uh, in, in the same grocery store, if you take something off a shelf, put it back. Like, if you don't want it anymore, don't put the peanut butter in with the canned goods, right? Like, put the peanut butter back where it belongs. If you don't, you are lazy, right? And you're, you're hurting society with your laziness, okay? And so, um, and so uh, another way you can do this is you can, uh, when you take clothes and you're at a store and you try them on, either bring them to the person that works there so they can hang them up and fold them, or here's an idea, fold them yourself and put them back where they belong, right? And so it's really simple, just being a better person. Like, just, like, do things like that. It's, it's really easy. Or another one, at the gym. <laughs> You're literally working out, and you can't put weights back where they belong? Like, they put numbers on there to say, the 20-pound dumbbell goes right there. The 35 doesn't, Okay. All right, so it's just numbers. Like, it's not hard to do. Just, like, just being a better person. It's not, it's not that hard. Listen, so the other day at the gym, and I want you to say, um, so we work out at U of R, and um, so all the students are back. It's not their fault. Um, it's, it's actually an adult, adult that does, not the students. But sometimes it gets a little crazier, and there's, like, more people around. So I'm using, I'm using dumbbells. And uh, I was looking for the 45s. I'm like, ah, oh, the 45s aren't here. But then I look over to the 15s, and the 45s are where the 15s are. And I'm like, because, like, you do that, it, it ruins everything else, right? Like, so you can't, nothing can go where it's supposed to go. So I just move them all, put them back where they're supposed to be, right? And I saw the person who did it. And so, so I just looked at them <laughs> as I went on. Did I do a positive thing and a good thing? Yes. Was there love in my heart? No. <laughs> Not at all. Nothing but pure judgment over them, right? And with my Hill City shirt on too, which is not great, right? Like so, but nothing but that. 
So my point is, is like you can do something positive, but it doesn't mean that love is in your heart. And this is what, this is what like is happening here to the church. They're like, you can, you can keep coming to church, but it doesn't mean love is in your heart. You can actually serve in an area, but it doesn't mean love is in your heart. You can give, but it doesn't mean love is in your heart. You could say you love Jesus, but, but it doesn't actually mean love is in your heart. And so you can start to see, like, oh, hold on a second. This, there's something deeper that's going on here that we've got to be aware of. And so um, I want to highlight a few ways that we can become blinded here. That we can become blinded and, uh, and, and how um, essentially what happens when we get in this space of like, you might be wondering like, but I'm doing good things. What do you mean love isn't there? And it's like, yeah, but there's some things that come into play that deeply uh, impact us. And so here are five things that I'll quickly just run through. Like how do we get to the point where we do the right things for the wrong reason? And this is like in our faith and in following Jesus. We, we're just going through the motions, right? It just becomes like, oh, this is just like my rhythm of stuff. Like it's, you're not actually like, if there's not a stirring in the passion in your soul. Like if you guys have ever come here on a, uh, one of our worship nights or all-in nights, uh, I always say this, even when we were talking to the band beforehand, it's like, hey, uh, there's an expectation as people come in here uh, that's different than a Sunday. There's an expectation because people are coming, they're choosing to come here an extra time and they're coming in here because they're like, man, I want to worship. I want to get after it. There's, some, like, there's a different expectation. It's not just going through the motions. There's, there's something different inside of us. There's a passion that's there. Um, number two, we view it as an obligation. It's like, oh, I have to do this. Uh, and you kind of start feeling that. It's like, oh, like when you really love someone, we're not doing things out of obligation, right? When there's a passionate love that's inside of us, it's like it's not out of obligation. Uh, number three, we're doing it because it looks good. Just because it looks good. And we are, we're the only ones who know if this is true of us, if we're just doing something for the way it looks. Number four, we have this kind of concept, what's in this for me? What's in this for me? So you walk in, you enter, and it's like, oh, this kind of selfish uh, motivation. And then number five there is that we're willing to compromise. We're willing to compromise. When these things start coming into play in our lives, um, we, we aren't doing things out of love anymore. We aren't doing things at the core level that uh, things should be. We might still do some positive things, but it's not at the core heart level that it should be. And so what Jesus is doing, he's, he's confronting all of this. And he's like, I want you to be conquerors. And we're like, conquerors over what? Sin. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, the sinful ways of the empire. Like, so, so, so you're telling me that we can be conquerors over sinful ways of the empire? Uh, yes, the Bible says that. We, we can be conquerors over the sin that's in our, yes, through the reality of who Jesus is and Christ working in our hearts and the Spirit of God. The answer is, is yes. How many of you guys have sin in your life? Go ahead and just raise them. I'm, I'll help you with this one. All right, go ahead and raise it. You can be conquerors over that sin through the reality and the truth of Jesus. Too often what we do is like, oh, the sin is too much. The sin is too much. It's, it's weighing me down. And I can't get past. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not what the Bible tells us to, to think. That's not what it says. It's not like our doing. It's the reality of the Spirit of God moving in us and the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. But like our mindset is, is like, no, we're supposed to be able to be conquerors over this. 
Ultimately, we have this story, of course, that Jesus is a conqueror over all sin and wipes all the sin off the earth. I, I get that. But even in this life now, it's like, oh, we start seeing things very, very differently. But what starts to happen is, is we buy into the culture in front of us. So rather than a culture of life, we, the, the culture around us is a culture of death. You guys know that, right? It's a culture of death. It's when you demean another person, that's a culture of death. You're, you're trying to stomp out their identity when you demean, when you divide, and when you hate another grouping of people. That's a culture of death. Conversations around abortion right now, culture of death. Con con conversation on the guns, culture of death. War and taking over other people, culture of death. Like greed, what is it? It's culture of death. Like th these things like, that are in front of us, it's, 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 it's like, oh, this culture of death trying to demean and trying to take away the identity of other people, trying to oppress other people, take over other people, strip other people of things. It's like, it's a culture of death, but yet the reality and the truth of Jesus is a culture of life. But man, when we get blinded, we get blinded, we start buying into all these other ideas that take us away from what Jesus desires for us. And he's like, pay attention. Pay attention. Uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, I guess we're headed into a political season and, you know, first debate just happened. And, you know, when uh, the Democrats have their debates, the same thing would happen. Just listen to the language of the debates. And if you just pay attention, you'd be like, hmm, this is actually a culture of death. There is nothing here that actually represents the reality and the truth and the love of Christ. It happened in that debate. It'll happen in every debate to come. I don't care, Republican or Democrat. doesn't matter. Like, you'll, you'll see it. If you want to pay attention, you'll start seeing it. You'll start seeing it. It's like, oh, man. So maybe, maybe I should stay grounded because the gospel works. Maybe. Fixation becomes like, let me get really concentrated on the reality of what's happening in Richmond and make a big difference for the kingdom of God in the city that I live in. Maybe this has become what it's about. It's like, that's what John said, hey, to the church at Ephesus, to the church in Richmond. I get the Roman Empire stuff. I get the America stuff. To the church in Richmond, can I talk to you for a second? It's the same thing. It's like, don't forget what you said you loved at first. What's taking you away from that? In um, the disordered ways of the empire do not center on anything, uh, don't center anything on the love of Jesus and others, which is what Jesus teaches us to do. It's centered on the self-comfort, pride, and arrogance. This is what we live in. And this is what we're faced with every day in our city, in our schools, like every, like this is what we're faced with. And it's like, who are we going to be? What are we going to concentrate on? Disordered love, this is what it's really about. Disordered love will always corrupt our worship and our way of life. Disordered love will always corrupt our worship and our way of life. This is what John is saying. Pay attention to the messaging that's happening around you and how it's impacting you. It's distracting you. It's taking you away from the love you're supposed to have for one another. I mean, the last political season, like, we, everything got wrapped. People were leaving churches and all that other stuff, right? And, like, when COVID happened, people were leaving churches or politics, blah, 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 all that stuff. But we've all seen it. We've all heard it and whatever. But when you take a step back for a second and you're like, 
oh, this actually has nothing to do with, like, loving one another. This has nothing to do with, like, what Jesus taught us. We are being so impacted by other messaging, both locally and nationally and globally. We're getting so impacted by it. And what we see here is, like, he's calling out the church and be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And what it actually says is, is when John writes, he says, you've forsaken your first love. And what he's, what he's saying, you are willing, that word means to release it. When we get into this space, this head and heart space, we are willingly releasing the love of Christ from our lives. From our lives. Willingly. We're choosing to do it by engaging other messaging. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually remove your lampstand, like remove the impact of your church. And you, like, for, for a first century listener to hear this, it would be like in Texas if this was said right now. Like, which is like a hub of like, you know, Christian church. Like you kind of, you can like think about starting a church in Texas and you get 500 people, right? Like that's like how it is. And, and so, so it's, like, and it's like right now if someone, if it was like uh, to the church in Texas, if you don't do this, I'm going to remove your lampstands. So, and, and people in Texas would be like, not in Texas, we're in the Bible Belt, y'all. Like, not here. In Ephesus, it would have been the same thing. In Ephesus, nah. The movement's too strong here. Let me ask you something. Is there, is there an active church in Ephesus right now? Nope. Not a one. So maybe this is serious. So maybe they're not, maybe they're not playing around. And here we are in this Oh, this is, this is really a, a big deal. So let me highlight this last thing. So how do we become a conqueror? What John maps out for us, says to remember and repent. Stay grounded, the gospel works. Do not waver on the teachings of Jesus. Stay grounded in the gospel. When all of this messaging is coming at you and, and there's something that's happening with politics and there's something that's happening in our city, there's something that's happening in our schools, something, and you want to jump on board with this messaging because you feel like really passionate about it, you need to breathe and say, is this actually what Jesus taught me to do? Does this, am I releasing my love of Christ by engaging in this? Or do I need to repent and turn away from that because guess what? I need to stay grounded in the gospel works. I need to remember the real story, not the fake stories that are being told to us. The real story of what's actually happening. The real story of what's in front of us. The real story about Jesus. The real thing that we can do. A passion, a, a love that can transform this city. Second thing is to be willing to live under the authority of Jesus. I know anti-authority is the way of the world right now. But to follow Jesus is to submit our lives to the reality and the teachings and who Jesus is. And we live under the authority of Jesus. And that's why we always say, you got an opinion, submit it to the authority of Jesus. You've got a, a view in life, submit it to the authority of Jesus. And the third thing there is communal discipline. I love, I love, I love the idea and, and reality that we all have to make a personal decision on whether or not to follow Christ. Yes. Yes. Um, that is a part of this. Um, but the larger part of Scripture is actually communal discipline, accountability, responsibility, to challenge one another. And this is why I say to be involved, like to, to get in, to, to be a part of community together, 
to challenge one another, to open yourself up, be vulnerable with other people. In, in a grouping of people, um, we have a fairly large church in, in Richmond. It's a really large church. And, and it's like, you, you got to have groupings of people in your lives where you can be held accountable to be challenged. For people to be like, you know what? You're doing that, but like, I don't see that as what Jesus taught. And you begin like helping one another in communal discipline. So here's just what I want us to think. I'm going to sing one more song. You guys can come up. I just want us to pause here for a second. Because uh, Jesus wants to confront you today. And he wants to confront me today. And he, I want us to wrestle with this question of, have I released the love of Christ in some kind of way in my life? chosen to release the love of Christ and live self-centered, live on however I want to go about this, think however I want to think or go, whatever. Have I chosen to release this love that I say that I have? You guys can bow your heads and I just want you to think about this for a minute. And the band's going to lead us in a song here.